should always have an apprentice. You should always have someone in mind who can be your successor. Mm -hmm. And you should always be developing that in people. It's not so carry on your legacy because my hope is whoever steps into this position after me will change it, will do it differently than I did. I, I think that's essential for growth. People don't want more of the same. They don't want more of the same and they need change. People hate change, I think for the most part. They fear change, but at the same time, it's what they desire most. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. This episode is part two of an earlier interview with Dr. Craig Metter, the president of the American Printing House for the Blind. In our last sit-down, Craig mentioned APH had thousands of products, and after listening to the episode, he realized he must have been thinking that everything's bigger in Texas, because APH actually has about 1,000 products. Lucky for us, they are 1,000 quality products. Sharing more about APH, along with stories from his own career, and how embracing life's unexpected plot twists allowed him to adapt and grow, I'm happy to bring you more from Craig. At APH, our board challenged us. Our board said, you have the K through 12 space. You've got that all dialed in. You've been doing that for 100 years. We've got that figured out. Let's go back to the original charter. The original charter says, educational materials and products for all blind. Mm -hmm. Why did we get off on just K through 12? Yeah. Why not all? Why not adults? The greatest area of growth is basically the aging population. If we're ever going to grow the quota, when you're government funded, growth comes very slowly. We would never, relying on the government, have enough quota dollars to get every student everything they need in the public schools. So the only way we could do that is by growing our, our for-profit side of the company. We sell Braille menus, we do bank statement transactions, we sell Braille to testing companies. Some of our quota products get sold for cash sales to non-quota people. All those dollars that come in for that pay for our heating, our air conditioning, uh, building repairs, because we're not allowed to use any of the federal dollars. So if we have an air conditioning oh. go out, okay. we can't use federal dollars to repair the air conditioning. Yeah. We can't use federal dollars to uh, pay the light bill. Mm -hmm. um, I can't use federal dollars to pay for my forklift operator. You know, <laughs> I can't. He's, he's not part of the appropriations. Okay. So, other sales, mm -hmm. other contract sales, have to raise enough money to cover all the cost of APH. And two-thirds of our staff are paid through money outside of quota. You know, that's a lot of people. Yeah. Salaries, benefits, retirements, all have to be paid through contract sales, not through quota. Can't use federal dollars for those people. If we were able to strike a deal with Canada, our goal is if we can make profit off Canada, mm -hmm. then um, because we're nonprofit, so what that means is at the end of the year, we just finished our fiscal year, and we now go through our, turn all our books over to our auditors, they'll come through and they basically will come back and they will say, based on our records and based on your books, they all align up and you have this much 
They don't call it profit because it's we're a nonprofit, but they said this was the excess revenue you had this year. It's usually not very much, but if we have a big chunk of excess revenue, then what we can do is we can say, okay, we're going to use that excess revenue and we can do a couple different things. We could take that excess revenue. So say we made an extra million dollars this year, if it was a good year. We could take that money and we could say, we're going to redivide that out over 65,000 students. Mm -hmm. And we're going to give everybody an additional $17 or whatever that math number is. Right. So we could do that. Or we, we could do is we could say, we are going to take that money and we are going to cut the cost of our most expensive item. So right now I think that would be the Mac Connect. So mm -hmm. maybe we say, all right, we're going to cut $500 off on every Mac Connect. And so we'll, next year we'll be able to sell that cheaper so people's quota dollars will go further. Yeah. So we have a number of things we can do with that money. Okay. Um, and so our goal is, okay, well, if, if we can get contracts with all these different countries and we can raise our revenue, what that means is we now have more money to lower prices of products or we have more money we can give back to EOTs to spend on students. Yeah. And that's our goal. I would love to get where we are right now, roughly $400. I'd love to get that to $1,000 per student mm -hmm. within five years. Well, actually four years now because that's yeah, the goal we set for ourselves. That was a goal. <laughs> we set for ourselves in the strategic plan. Yeah. That's a very ambitious goal. Yes, it is. Which means we would have to raise another $58 million a year Wow! to make that happen. Mm -hmm. So can we do that? We're going to give it our best try. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be challenging, but we roughly would have to hit that $58 million mark to, wow. to do that. And you're from the field of education. I am. You started in the, the blindness realm as a teacher of the visually impaired. Yeah. How does that get me from here to there? Yeah. You know, I, that's a good question. I, I really don't. <laughs> You don't, I, don't know. Got I, I think when you're an itinerant teacher and you're working with students where no two students are the same, and I guess you could say that for regular ed, the beauty about the vision loss is you could have three students who all have the same eye condition. Say they all have RP, but it will manifest in three different ways. Right. So you always have to think. You always have to adapt. You have to adapt on the fly. You always have to be reading the signs, understanding the needs of the child, and then while you're addressing those physical needs, you're addressing the learning needs, and then you're also addressing all those social needs. You help them negotiate those social issues that they're dealing with with vision loss, and at least trying to point them in the right direction and get them be that listening ear and, and, and try to be the encourager and the comforter. It's that holistic approach of just dealing with the individual. After many years of teaching as an itinerant, then went into the classroom at a school for the blind, and I'm thinking, okay, well, if I can lead kids, maybe I can lead adults, inspire adults so that they can do good work with kids. I think when you get into leadership, first of all, everyone, you know, you hear that, everyone's a leader. I believe that, you know. <laughs> I do too. Different times they're taking the leads on different yeah, projects because absolutely. they're playing to their strengths and, and that's part of leadership is knowing what your strengths are mm -hmm. and knowing where someone else has need and basically saying let me carry the load for a while and um, then when they recognize that they have a need they'll let someone else carry the load that's that's the biggest part of leadership but you got to be a little egocentric to be a leader a little, I mean, a little narcissistic yeah. when I was in Washington State we had a union person over the teachers and they were the world's worst 
I, I just, I, nice person, but awful. Yeah. I'm just like going, okay, you're an awful union president. I'm going to be union president. And everyone's like, yes, please be union president. Mm -hmm. And then I think we did a, I did, was part of a contract negotiation with the state. You know, I was able, I think, to convince enough people and speak up for people and protect teachers and identify weak teachers, too. That's the other part about leadership, too. It wasn't just protecting teachers, but it was also recognizing when you had weak teachers that weren't doing good work for kids and then going to those teachers and saying you really need to do a career change or you need to go back and get more education yeah. you're hurting kids yeah I felt like that was the job of the union president as well so I did that and then the superintendent of the school at that time said you know what I'm interested in, in having you become more of a school leader outside that union role so he offered me the associate principal position and then two years later I was given the principal's position and then probably the most amazing thing there when you get into leadership is like people are listening to me because I know me better than anybody knows me and I'm thinking I'm just a screw-up <laughs> I I'm have a, that thought all the I'm time. a smart ass <laughs> and I'm a screw-up I've done so many things to try to improve myself but you realize you are who you are mm -hmm. and that's not by fluke and that's not an accident that is that is a beautiful thing I, and I'm care if you're in education or you are a car salesman when you figure out who you are and what your gifts are and you're doing it and you're happy about it that's a beautiful thing but when I became principal and, and teachers would follow my lead I'm like I'm casting a vision it's bold it's crazy let's go do it and people are behind you and you're like going people are following me. I actually <laughs> got to do something now and then you see the benefits of those things and then you learn to listen so I think when you look at teachers, the same way you, I looked at my students, my students were all unique with unique needs. My yeah. teachers were unique with unique needs. Everyone had to yeah. be handled different. Some teachers needed 30 minutes of my time. It wasn't like, hey, how's your day? Going great. Some teachers, that's all they needed. Some people are saying, well, you know, my cat, my cat, this and that. Now I have to give my cat shots. Da, 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 da. And I had to give her five to 10 minutes to talk about her cat for her to kind of set her day. Yeah. Yeah. And what I started to notice was some people that if they didn't have that connection at the beginning of the mm -hmm. day, they had some really rough days. Yeah. You know, some people didn't need to see me but once a week, mm -hmm. even though I, I was in their classroom every day. But some people needed to see me every day. Some people never needed my approval. Somebody wanted me to review their lesson plans weekly. You, you know, you, you just have to kind of tailor your leadership for the people who are working with you and, and walking with you. I think that's the, the big piece. So when, when leadership came open at APH and the opportunity to apply for vice president here, I'm just going, oh, I don't know. Yeah vice president you know I never you know because I was kind of figuring out how am I ever going to become a superintendent I don't know if I've got the chops to be a superintendent of a school yeah and uh, so now I'm bypassing superintendent and going to a national <laughs> position and it's just like well what does that entail threw my hat in the ring was scared to death and it turned out I got hired for that and was both amazed and stunned by the fact that I got hired and I'm thinking of all the brilliant people in this field and I'm going oh, I bet so-and-so is being considered if it's that person they're interviewing there's no way I'm getting this position and I right. imagine if they interview that person I'm not getting it and that was that's an honest assessment I really thought there's so many more so many smarter people people who have been superintendents, people who have proven track records, people who have done some massive things on national scale. I just thought, I'm not gonna get this position. Long story short, got that. And then my first day of work, Tuck Tinsley, the president says, I'm retiring in six months. 
and my jaw hit the floor. <laughs> and then about a week later, he came back and he says, you, sh you should consider this. I barely feel I'm competent to do vice president. Mm -hmm. and I don't know how I would ever lead APH. You start to doubt your own ability. They were looking somebody from the world of business, not yeah. education. They wanted a business person. You they wanted that. they wanted to go in some different directions as mm -hmm. a company. They wanted to go, you know, things we're talking about, uh, international marketplace, growing the the non quota business, um, um, changing the way the company presents itself. I mean, they wanted somebody from the business world, and they interviewed a lot of people from the business world. So I thought I have no chance getting this job. In fact, I sat in on one or two interviews where I was basically was told is, why are you even applying for this job? <laughs> you you have no business acumen. I'm like going, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that instills confidence. I know. It's like, thank you. <laughs> but you know, it worked out. It worked out. So yeah. now I'm in the role I am in. And um, I won't say every day is a white knuckle experience, but there are definitely a lot of white knuckle experiences where you're going, how did I get here and am I doing the right thing? What I tell our team is we are in some new territory. We're trying to grow our company in new and bold ways. We're going to fail, so we're going to fail fast, and that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. You know, as long as we're not hurting kids, mm -hmm. it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. And so coming up on three years as president in January. Yeah been a lot of fun and it's it's been a struggle helping people get through change that's that's been a challenge why do you think it's important to instill leadership into others when, when you find yourself in a leadership role selfishly there's always the bus syndrome if I get hit by a bus today who picks up carries on this work yeah tomorrow? well it's a good point yeah regardless if you are an usher at church or if you are uh, a baseball coach for Little League. You should always have an apprentice. You should always have an assistant. You should always have someone in mind who can be your successor. Mm -hmm. And you should always be developing that in people. And there's two reasons for that. One, in case of your demise, not so carry on your legacy, because my hope is whoever steps into this position after me will change it. Right. We'll do it differently than I did. I, I think that's essential for growth. Yeah. You, you don't want a carbon copy. People don't want more of the same. Yeah. They don't want more of the same. And they need change. People need people hate change, I think for the most part. They fear change, but at the same time it's what they desire most. Yeah. Right. I want to make sure that whoever steps in my shoe makes sure that all systems keep rolling so that this kid is still getting what he needs to be successful in class. So the braille paper gets to gets Nebraska. delivered to the student. Yeah. Okay, so that's why it's important to have a successor. Systems keep coming. That's the short term. Then the long term, you're hoping that whoever you have brought in will put their own spin, will change things, may throw some things out. Yeah. You should always be moving people to growth. You should care enough about people to make sure that they continue to grow and develop their skills and keep them engaged. The staff I work most closely with, I'm, um, I try to continually push the bar on them. Just yeah. saying, you know, I know you haven't done this before, but what I really would like you to do is this. Or if someone comes in with a wild hair of an idea saying, I think we, I think we should look at this. Like, great, let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. How would we make that happen? Usually I don't have answers, so I'm just saying, great, I need you to go figure that out, and in 30 days come back and 
with a proposal. Let's figure this out. One of my favorite things about being in a, a leadership role is um, maximizing the skills of others. Mm -hmm. I think that's that has turned into my favorite kind of work. Yeah. Which you know, I said that to one of my previous teachers when I was in Washington, and she kind of laughed like you're passing the buck. Yeah. But it's a skill set that I have to figure out like how do we coordinate your time and how do we budget for this project and how and that's not like fun stuff for other people right. but because they just want to do the fun work right. and like right. and live out their dream project but when you can like maximize something that somebody's passionate about and help them do that yeah. it is so cool to watch it and then to see their growth and also like because of the work we do the impact on kids right. is fantastic right. you know it leads to like um, longevity even yeah. with people's careers yeah. and um, I just think it's so cool to be able to facilitate that kind of stuff. Oh, I agree. Which, I agree. That's that's the best part about this job. Yeah, you probably get to do that a ton because it's fun. so much project-based work. Yeah, and it's and it's fun stuff. You've been my mentor for like my whole career. Yeah, I suppose. And um, you're one of the few people I know that also left Washington State, where you know we both. That's where all our family is yeah. and our friends yeah. and where you know where our roots are. Yeah. Um, and move to a new state. What advice do you have for me? Like moving into a new leadership role in a well, totally new state. Allow yourself some time to grieve. <laughs> to grieve Washington? Yeah. Oh. Moving is hard. And you brought a family. This is my wife and I and the dog when we came because my boys are all grown. And uh, I knew you were making the right decision, but I was deeply concerned for your yeah, kids. Yeah, a lot of For work. you and Jamie, but also for your kids. Yeah. Adjusting to climate and to culture. And people move at a different pace. I'm having to learn that people don't necessarily work with me the same way they did in Washington. Yeah. And so I'm having to change who I am, ask more pointed questions, as well as train my staff as to how better to interact with me. Yeah. And basically, I've, I've said, when I ask you a question, this is the assumptions I'm making. Mm -hmm. That if there are problems, if there are issues, if there are this or that, you're going to present those all to me right now. I want you to be successful. I want to be successful. I want a relationship to be successful. So let's get all this out in the open. And people aren't necessarily used to unpacking the details of that. And it took me about a year to get over that homesickness. Mm. It really did. Yeah. And then now I'm in year three, and it's like I don't get homesick that much anymore. I yeah. Don't. The other one is, uh, I just mis misread a few people. Yeah. And what I heard through the grapevine was later out, later on, is I freaked them out. By, and when I say trust, I don't mean like I'm telling them secrets. It was, it was more or less, you know, seeing people that I felt were very responsive and to the direction we were going, and handing them off responsibility right away. Oh, okay. And I didn't do a good enough inventory of misjudged their interest for engagement. Mm -hmm. They were interested in mm -hmm. where we were going to go because they were excited about change. Yeah. But yet they feared the change that was coming and did not feel they had the skill sets to carry it out. So I mistook their interest for engagement. Yeah. And so I handed things off to them and they either failed with that or did nothing because they felt paralyzed about what if I screw up? Yeah. What about the fear? And right. so rather than getting mad at them, when I finally got, got that information out of them, it was more or less, I, I apologize. That was not my goal to freak you out. That was not my goal to overwhelm you. Do you want to start again or do you want, you want an exit out? Yeah. Basically. And some of them chose the exit out. Yeah. They said, you know, let me see this work and then I'll jump in next round. Mm -hmm. I would just say, so, you know, give yourself some time to grieve and adjust. 
allow people time to get to know you. Yeah. Um, and fully expect that there are going to be some people who don't get you. <laughs> and it may take them a year or two before, yeah. they, before they get you. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Since Craig and I landed on the topic of leadership in our conversation, it seemed appropriate to drag TSBVI's own leader, Superintendent Bill Doherty, into the studio to give his point of view. Bill is currently gearing up for retirement, and I'm glad I could snag two and a half minutes of his perspective before he hangs it up this summer, leaving behind what he's learned about leadership to whomever takes his office. As someone who has been in a leadership role for over 30 years, you might think I'd know quite a lot about the concept of leadership. But other than trying to treat people the way I want to be treated, and having a willingness to take personal responsibility for the outcomes of an organization, I don't have a highly developed concept of leadership. What I do have is a highly developed appreciation of the leadership behaviors I see among the people I work with directly and the many people from our field who I've had the good fortune to associate with at the local, state, and national level. The leadership behaviors that appeal to me most come from people who are in recognized leadership positions as well as those who consider themselves to just be doing the day-to-day -day work of our organizations. These individuals have a wide range of self-concepts related to leadership. Some strongly identify with the role of being a leader. Some are more measured or perhaps even reluctant in considering themselves leaders. And some can show many leadership characteristics without much awareness of behaving like a leader. Regardless of these individuals' self-perception as leaders, and regardless of their position on the organizational chart, the ones I admire the most have these things in common. They are nice when they need to be, and they are nice when they don't need to be. They can be trusted. They take responsibility for their actions. They see the success of others as being as important as personal success. They listen in equal measure to talking. They are fully engaged in the mission of their organization. They know their stuff, but are always learning. They are goal-oriented, but have patience and can step back and reevaluate. They can articulate a common sense of purpose that others connect with. They work hard and don't ask more of others than they are willing to do themselves. They don't take themselves too seriously and take both criticism or praise with a grain of salt. As a person who has spent so much time in schools, I've seen these leadership behaviors in the classroom, in the cafeteria, in the parent group, in the dorms, in the cubicle, in the boardroom, and everywhere else in between. Great organizations like the one I work in have these leaders well represented in every department. They set an example that attracts the admiration and respect of those around them. And that's about as good a definition of leadership as there is. And for those who are willing to step up to take on officially recognized roles as leaders, we need you and we appreciate you. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but if the characteristics listed above are prominently represented in how you lead, you and those around you will do well.
I hope you learned something new today about APH, the field of blindness, or maybe even about yourself. There are many opportunities for leadership within every day, and conversations like this can remind us. From the TSBVI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.